Okay. Good morning, everybody. Hi, Arlene. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's great to be back home this week. And um, first of all, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who was praying for me the last couple of weeks. Actually, last this time last week, uh, I was uh, in India, in Delhi, uh, eating curry, eating some rather interesting pudding, which had uh, silver foil on it, which we were eating, which was interesting. And... Uh, feels like a world away, but thank you everybody that was praying for me. It was a very fruitful trip. Thank you for everybody who not only prayed for the family at home as well, but offered to help Bev. I phoned Bev up after I'd been away about 10 days, fearing that, uh, you know, life might be falling apart a little little bit at home uh, without me. And she said, oh no, she said, everything's absolutely fine. Actually, life's a lot simpler without you here. there we are. I'm glad. I think, I think I'm needed, really. I think what was going on was that there was a huge amount, a huge number of offers of support for, uh, from other people for her whilst I was away. Very fruitful trip. Went to explore a relationship which I think we'll hear far more about as the years go by with a guy called Joshua David, who is a fam- family friend of Sam and David Massey. And uh, a little bit of that might come out as I speak this morning. But I just want you to know it was really fruitful. I only got a little bit ill, so that was good. Uh, well, I mean, it could have been worse, is what I mean to say. And I have to say, it's great taking a first aid kit with you when you go, but I had the wisdom this time to take a pharmacist with me as well. <laughs> and that was even better. And, um, yeah, I'd just like to add my welcome to Keith's. Uh, great to have uh, any guests and visitors with us this morning. We had quite a few notices to share this morning. I find that whilst there's a danger of switching off with all of that information, it's great to be part of a body of people who are... Uh, at work with God in the world. That's why there's so much to share, is because actually by the grace of God, we know that he's at work in our lives and through us, and there are therefore things to report and plans to share of what we expect he's going to do with us. It's really good. I'd rather be in a church that had loads of notices than one that had nothing to say. Yeah? Because it's it's about the whole of life and not just about an event here on a Sunday morning. Uh, Great to have Kidlington guys with us as well this morning. Great. (laughs) <laughs> I think we could probably do better than that, couldn't we? <laughs> if you're from Killington, would you stand up a second? I like, it's not just to embarrass you, but I just want to say, these guys are planting a church in Killington. You can sit down again now. If you've not, if you've not heard what God's doing in Killington uh, recently, then catch up with them, listen to them, uh, find out what's going on there. I don't know, maybe even God will stir your heart to go to that wonderful place, the largest village in Europe. <laughs> he stirred their hearts. He's laughing. Just use the wonderful. wonderful in Kidlington. <laughs> Kidlington is a wonderful place, is it not? Heaven is a wonderful place. Actually, I'm reading about things going on during the Civil War at the moment for the study that I'm doing, and Kidlington was one of the hotspots of God's activity during the Civil War. Um, so it has some heritage, probably more heritage of an evangelical kind than Oxford does, come to think about it. Anyway, um, well, uh, we're in a teaching series that's on the subject, uh, that's got the, the heading of being rooted, things in which our life in Christ is rooted. Uh, this fact that we're in this teaching series may have got lost a little bit because we've had a whole series of different things going on over the past few weeks. You had Paul McConaughey with us, well, with you, I wasn't here last week. I'm sure that was a good time. And then other things going on, leaders' conference and so on. But nonetheless, through the spring, we're in this series, 
um, entitled Rooted. My, my title for this morning was actually being rooted in mission. And um, on reflection, it was my idea, I think, or between us we came up with it. On reflection, I thought, that's not what needs to be said this morning. And what I've got to share this morning is actually the substance of the message that I've been taking with me when I've been speaking in other places over the last probably six or nine months or, or so. And it will touch on mission, but it's a bit of a broader thing than that. It follows on last as well from what Paul McConaughey shared last week. I believe he... Oh, I know that he spoke about this because I listened online. He spoke about um, covenant and kingdom. Did he use those two words and put them alongside each other? Yeah, those of you who were here. And he spoke about righteousness and justice being the foundations of God's throne. He spoke a lot of wisdom about missional communities as well. And if you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to get online and listen to what he said, because I think it was pure gold in terms of its application to us and shaping what God's calling us to do together. This week, the subject is about being rooted in God's great plan, and it's about covenant, and it's about kingdom, and I want to suggest it's a little bit more than that as well. Do turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. I have the next slide as well. There's a burning bush, just in case you didn't know what Exodus 3 had in it. We'll read verses 5 to 14. This is about Moses' encounter with the living God. And the first point that I want to draw out of the scriptures this morning is that it's not just that God has a plan for the world, but that the plan flows out of who he is. It's not a random thing. It's not like God just sat down and had a brainstorm one day and said, what would be fun to do? Let's have a go. It wasn't just like a creative moment in which God had and came up with a plan for the world, but it flows right out of the core of his character and nature. In Exodus 3, God encounters Moses. Moses encounters God. Verse 5, God says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. I believe that we touched a bit of that this morning, didn't we? In our worship. An encounter with God. A holy place. He's not the same as us. He's different. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. And he explained some of the plan that he has there. And then verse 11, Moses said to God, but who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And there's a footnote in the NIV for verse 14, which says it could be translated, I am who I am, or I will be what I will be. And many of you know that this is, this is the word that we sometimes used to, we used to say more Jehovah. Nowadays, we tend to say Yahweh. It's a little bit closer to the Hebrew. Actually, it's just four consonants in Hebrew. We don't know quite how to say it. The name of God was 
understood by the Hebrews to be so holy that they couldn't even write it down, which leaves us a little bit unsure exactly how to say it and a little bit unsure how to translate it. But what we do understand is that it means something like, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be, or I will do what I will do. It's just really a statement from God that he is utterly consistent. That who he has been is who he will be. That what he has done has been consistent with who he is. That who he is will flow out into his action in the future. That whoever, whatever he's like, that all of his action comes from what he's like. And because who he is is enduring and will not change, his action through human history is determined and purposeful. Yeah? That's all there in four, four little letters in Hebrew. God has a plan that flows out from who he is. Now, we, if we turn forward about 30 chapters, there's a question then that Moses asks, which I guess has probably been brewing in him since the burning bush. Because at the burning bush, he says, okay, God, uh, who are you? And God says, well, look, this is who I am. I am who I am. <laughs> I will be who I will be. I will do things according to who I am. And there's a question that must have been brewing for quite a long time in Moses, which is, so God, what exactly are you like then? I mean, it's all very well to say that you'll always be the same. You'll always be consistent with who you are. But what, God, are you really, really like? And he asks this question by saying in chapter 33 and verse 18, Moses asks God, now show me your glory. The glory was the visible radiance of God. And he's asking, look, it's been very good to talk to you and you've told me some things, but I now, I want to go further here. I want to see you. I want to know for myself what you're really, really like. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. And then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. And when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. And then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first, the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks or herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went at Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. And then then the Lord came down in the clouds and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord, Yahweh. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet, he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes 
the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. What we see here is a revelation of God's character. Moses says, it's all very well that you will do what you will do, but what are you like? What is your character? What is this nature out of which you will act and with which all of your deeds will be consistent? And he gets this answer, I am the Lord, gracious and compassionate. We could sum it up maybe with two words, these things that are, can we get these next two words? Love and judgment. If we try to sum up what God revealed of himself to Moses, he says, I'm a God of love, abounding love, loads of love, love going out to thousands, forgiving people, having compassion, mercy, and grace, but also a God of judgment. Uh, doesn't turn a blind eye to things being done wrong. Has, God has a very clear sight, a very clear mind about the way things should be. This is what God's like. There's love and there's judgment. We could pick another couple of words. Righteousness and justice, as Paul said last week, are the foundations of God's throne, as it says in Psalm 89. Covenant and kingdom. These two things speak about relationship with God, his love for us, he wants to know us, but also the rule of God. God wants things to be a certain way. There is covenant relationship with him. We are his people, but he also has a plan for what things should be like in the world. There is covenant relationship and there is kingdom rule. Both of these things flow out of who God is. God is concerned both to have a people, to call his own, but also to make things as they should be. He is not content with things being different from how they should be. And these things together, this character of God, love and justice, are his glory. I want you to log that thought away particularly because Moses had said, now show me your glory. I want to see you. What's this visible radiance that I've seen from a distance? I want to see you clearly, God. And God's answer is, I'll show you my glory. Here's my glory. I'm a God of love, God of justice. Everything else is, you know, so many sparkles. You know, visible light. You know, that's not the thing to get excited about. I'm a God of love. I'm a God of justice. That is my glory. Hold on to that thought. Let's turn back to the beginning, very near the beginning of the scriptures, Genesis chapter 1. It's a fairly sparse fig leaf, isn't it? Actually, fig leaves are much bigger than that. Whoever whoever painted that had never been to the Middle East, so they'd have known that fig leaves don't look like that. Anyway... Genesis chapter 1, creation of Adam and Eve. God said, verse 26, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created man In his own image. In the image of God, 
he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. And subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, I hope you can see here that God's plan for humanity is based on his character. God's character is to have a people to love and to rule the world that things would be as they are meant to be. And so he says, I'm going to make people in my image. I'm going to make people who are like me. And so he creates a growing, multiplying, covenant people who will love each other and love him and reflect mercy and grace and compassion in the world. That's one reason for the creation of humanity. There's another reason for the creation of humanity. There's a whole world And God doesn't want to rule it just directly by himself. He made people that we would rule the world on his behalf. I've obviously just been in India for a few weeks. Uh, India, in the time of the the Britishers being there, as they say, uh, was ruled by a viceroy. The viceroy of India ruled on behalf of the British sovereign. And a viceroy is... Someone who stands, like you have a president and a, and a vice president, and if the president's not there, the vice president takes on the role. A viceroy is like that for a monarch. The monarch was thousands of miles away. The viceroy ruled India as the king or the queen's representative with full royal authority. And that's what God wants for us. He made us to be his viceroys, vice regents, we might also say, taking his royal rule and implementing it in the world. That's what he made us for. And again, it's not a random sort of a thing. It flows out of his character. He loves and he rules because that's who he is. He made us to love and to rule in his image. It's not an arbitrary thing. It's not like he thought, oh, well, we've made lions now and salamanders, and what else can we make? Another slightly random thing, another kind of creature. When it came to making people, God made us in his image. Nothing arbitrary about it. Nothing, you know, it wasn't just a sort of another creative moment in the course of many. This is the pinnacle of creation, the presentation to the whole of creation of people made in his image to be like him, to love like him, and to rule like him. Paul spoke last week about extended family. I won't say anything more about that whole thing about people because he spoke about it so well last week. But it does matter that we get hold of this thing about ruling for God in the world. Um, The people that provided these um, desserts with silver foil on last week, um, were a couple that came over for dinner in the house where we were staying. The guy's name is Rajiv. He works for a company that you've never heard of, probably, unless you've been to India, called JP. It's a massive company. Massive, massive company. Um, Some of you will have seen that there was the first Grand Prix in India last October, those of you that care about that. We'll pray for you later. And... um, (laughs) 
This guy that we had sat, for, sat down with, he was responsible. For, he, was the, he is the general manager of the company that built not only the Grand Prix track, but the new city in which it's just a small part. Um, they're building a new highway from Delhi to Agra, and they, there's lots of villages along the way that it would be really difficult to have to knock down and get land rights and so on. So they just decided they'd build all 180 kilometers of it uh, on stilts. That's an, another little project that they've got going. Um, interestingly, um, the company that's building it is not charging the Indian government for building it. They're quite savvy. They said, just let us build it and let us have land rights on either side. It's quite a good company to work for, I believe. And they employ many, many thousands of people. A couple of years ago, they did a survey. And they said, please, uh, to all our, all our employees, please would you tell us uh, whom amongst your colleagues are the most honest? And they got all the results back. And there were three people that came out, they, the top three, and this guy was in the top three out of all these thousands of people, so they gave him a promotion. That's how come he's got the job that he has. Actually, it's not quite how he's got the job that he now has, because they did it again between these three, and he came out top. So they thought, fair enough, you'd be just be in charge of loads of stuff. It's a pretty good way of promoting people, especially in a, com- a country that remains plagued by bribery and corruption. Anyway, last week... no, no. Uh, be about 10 days or so ago now, this guy Rajiv sat at work, obviously got quite a lot of responsibility, trying to handle that well and with honesty and all the rest of it. One of his subordinate um, managers came into him, and as he sat there, Rajiv starts to see like um, a, a word of knowledge playing like a, a vision in front of him of this guy going home, uh, starting to develop an alcohol habit, ignoring his family and wasting his days. So he says to him, is this what's going on in your life? Uh, It turned out to be from the Lord. So the guy broke down, spoke about all this stuff, asked Rajiv to pray for him. Next morning, there's a queue outside his office door. (laughs) People saying, I hear you're like a spiritual doctor. Well, actually, in India, there's the whole concept of guru. You know, so he's become the office guru, basically, because he can dispense spiritual benefit to other people. I like that story. I like the guy. Um, I could tell you more about him. You can maybe ask me about it later. But you know what? This rule of God spills out in many different ways, doesn't it? It spills out in our workplaces in many different ways. It's easy for us to think that it will work one way or another. I love this story because God's just doing a lot of different things there. He's worked on his character. He's given him influence that quite a large portion of many people's work will be done in a godly way. And look, there's the power of the Spirit at work here as well to transform people's lives. Isn't that wonderful? Um, I'm hoping he might come to the UK at some point. He probably will because he's now responsible. He's been promoted again. He's, been respon- he's now responsible for overseeing all of their international property acquisitions. So I'm sure he'll be here at some point. But you know what? This all flows out of God wanting to make things as they should be. Now, honesty is about conducting relationships in the way they should be done. God's speaking through someone to bring to light and a, a, 
kind of an addiction that was growing is God at work to make things as they should be. For each one of us, there are things that God wants to do not only in us but through us to make the world as it should be. Now, I don't know what that looks like in everyone's workplace and in everyone's family. I was thinking of you, Ash, I don't know why I was praying yesterday, thinking of you working at McDonald's and thinking, what's it like for things to be done as they should be in McDonald's? I think it's got to be that things are cooked on time and well and taste good and all the rest of it. It's got to be about relationships with people and honesty and treating people with fairness and dignity. And I mean, you could tell all of us so much more about what God wants to do there. The same could be said for every one of our places of work, couldn't it? Or our colleges or our homes or schools or wherever it may be. There are things that God wants to put right or to be done right. There are things that are not as they should be. And the rule of God for which he made us to be a part, yeah? He wants us to participate in that. The tragedy, of course, in the story of creation is that Adam and Eve chose, after all, not to be like God. They chose not to relate to him, and they chose not to do what should have been done. And as a consequence of that, they were expelled from the Garden of Eden, and so instead of universal love and holiness, which is what God had planned... We have isolation and dislike between people. Instead of things being done right, we know violence, dishonesty, betrayal, rejection, carelessness, and so on. But praise God, what he did in Jesus was to restore the original plan. It's another little picture of Jesus. Let's read in Mark chapter 1 and see what God was doing. Remind ourselves and put it into the context of this big plan, this great plan that God has. Mark 1 and verse 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw, and actually others did as well, it says in the other Gospels, heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son. Whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And at once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. And then after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent. Believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. And at once they left their nets and followed him. See what's going on here. First thing is that Jesus comes as the Son of of God. You know, it says in Luke chapter 3 that Adam was made as the son of God. Adam was the son of God, made in the image of God, and it went wrong. Jesus comes as the son of God to put things right. He comes in the true likeness. 
It's there, there's a word in the Greek, which actually the word character in Greek, it means, it's there in John 12 and Hebrews chapter 1, the exact representation, it says of Jesus, he is the exact representation, not just the image and likeness, but he is exactly like God, because actually, as it says elsewhere in the scriptures, he is himself God. He comes as the exact image, now to do afresh in the earth, that which is consistent with the nature and character of God, loving people and ruling. He, where Adam and Eve fell to the devil's schemes and temptations, Jesus, again, was out there amongst the wild animals, just like Adam and Eve had been amongst all the wild animals in Eden. He was tempted by the devil, and he didn't sin. He maintained the image that was his. And then in verses 14 and 15, we see him calling people back to God. He comes expressing the love of God, saying, it's time to come back. Repenting means you're walking away from God. You can turn round. There is an opening now for you to come back to God, to know him for yourself and reconnect with him and enter into his love and establish a friendship with him, or rather allow him to establish a friendship with us. He called people back to God, but he also straight away invited people to share in his ministry. It's not just that he went around doing miracles, looking after the poor, cleansing the temple, turning water into wine, or whatever else it was that needed to be done to make things as they should be. But as soon as he's called people to say, come on, come and renew that friendship with God, which has been lost he straight away said, now, there's some stuff that we're going to do together. I'm going to grow you and change you and make you to be. It's great, isn't it? He doesn't say, come follow me and I'll give you a course that you can go on and you can work out how to be fishers of men. He says, come follow me and I will make you. That's good, isn't it? Of all the things that there are to change in the world, the hardest thing to change, obviously, is yourself. Uh, mostly because you know all that's, well, you don't even know all that's going on in our own hearts, but we understand much more of the complexity of our own hearts than other people. It's always easy to see how other people should change, but knowing how we ourselves should change is tricky. Praise God, Jesus says, I will change you. He, will, he promises to make us people who will participate in his ministry. Sometimes we get tangled up in questions like, so should I be an evangelist in my workplace? Is that something I'm meant to do or not? And we talk about mission. Is mission the same as evangelism? Is that the same as the kingdom? I don't know. Maybe you don't ask those questions. Uh, But if you do, they can sometimes make us, they can paralyze us a little bit. Oh, I'm not quite sure, actually. What we see here with Jesus is that all of it flows out of being like God. There is no division. There's different expressions of the nature and character of God. There's an expression of love and calling people into friendship with him, which means that we treat people well and tell them about the opportunity to know God for themselves. There's the expression of the nature of God, which is working to make things as they should be, and sometimes doing that by proclaiming the name of Jesus with authority in prayer, words of knowledge and all but it all comes out in God's great plan it all comes out of what he's like yeah. they're all different expressions 
of what he's like. And so for us, as we are renewed now in the image of God, it all just flows out from who we are. We can spend a lot of time worrying about how it all fits together when our focus should be on, central question is, am I becoming more like Christ? Jesus promised that he would make us to be like him. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that we are being transformed from glory to glory into the image of Christ. He is working in us to get us to be more and more like him. The primary question is not whether in our heads we understand how all these different activities fit together and can justify them in the context of a community group discussion or even to our own satisfaction. The issue is, are we being changed? Are we becoming more and more like Jesus? You see, this was God's original plan. Let's have the next slide and just turn briefly. Habakkuk, great little book. Habakkuk, you'll take a while to find it if you're anything like me. I've got it there. There we go. Habakkuk, Habakkuk's an interesting little book. The, the overview of Habakkuk is, so God, your people are in a right state and something should be done about it. And God says, oh, yeah, gotcha. What's going to happen is a blasphemous, idolatrous foreign army is going to come and destroy them. And Habakkuk goes, uh, not what I had in mind. Uh, that's not right, God. They don't deserve to be in charge anymore. because And God says, yeah, well, I'll work it all out. You might not understand how it's all going to go. But in the midst of talking about these big questions, like how does justice work in the world? How does it all work out? How are the people of God going to be purified and made to be as they should be so that the world will become? As In the middle of all of those questions, there's this little verse, Hebrews 2 and verse 14, a promise from God. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, i.e. altogether. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Do you get it? Do you see how it fits together? God's original plan was to make people in his image that we would multiply in number, fill the earth, look like him, and rule it for him. That was God's original plan. It went wrong. Because Adam and Eve chose not to fit in with it. And so Jesus comes in the image of God, acting like God in the world because he is himself divine, loving people, calling people back into relationship with God and making things as they should be in the world. And then we are invited to join in, to be part of... God's original plan, now the plan that will work its way right through to the end of the age of people growing in the likeness of Christ, for whom friendship and love, from whom friendship and love spills out, because that's what God's like, abounding in love, who invite people into relationship with God, because of course we will, because that's what Jesus did, and we're being made in his image and who know and have the confidence to do things as God would have them done, to make the world as it should be. And so, the earth will be filled with a knowledge of the glory of God. The glory of God, remember, is this thing about God's love and his justice. 
A knowledge of the glory of God is about everybody, everywhere, knowing that there is a God in heaven who is loving and just. How are they going to know that? How is this promise of the ages, this ultimate plan going to be fulfilled? Through a growing number of people who look like Jesus. Living openly and allowing people to see in us what God is like. That's God's plan. It's a good plan, isn't it? When I was in India, one of the things that didn't go quite according to our plan was that we were supposed to take an overnight sleeper train from the middle of India to the west coast, and for several reasons it didn't work, and we ended up doing a through-the-night car journey. We got in the car at 10 p.m. and got out in our destination the next day at 3 p.m., so it was a bit of a journey, and... um, Along the way, we stopped in a number of places, and we got a bit of chai, and we got breakfast in one place. And the one place where we stopped for breakfast, um, which, you know, curried omelette is standard breakfast in India, so which is good. Um, curry is a good thing. And we're sat at this table eating that and our roti and chai and so on. And at the next table, there's a guy there who's just finishing his breakfast, whose leg is bent like that, only it's at that angle... You know, the knee not bent the way it's not in the right, you know, not in the right plane. That's the word, isn't it? Um, thank you. As engineer on the front row is always helpful. So, um, so he, he, I don't know what had happened, but his knee had been pushed out a long way. And uh, on the way, on this journey, I'd been having a conversation with Josh, the guy that we'd gone to connect with and spend time with. Josh is, his main gift is as an evangelist. He runs a three-day evangelism training school. The first day is learning to do friendship evangelism. That's the first day. Um, Checking your motives out, learning to be properly friendly and outgoing and all these things. That's the first day. The second day is uh, signs and wonders evangelism, uh, where they go out on the street, find an obviously disfigured person, which is fairly easy to do in India, Uh, and pray for them. And one of two things happen, both of which are learning experiences in a school of evangelism. One is that they don't get healed. And you learn, as a growing evangelist, to grapple with that reality and deal with all the issues that it raises in our hearts and minds. That's a good lesson to learn. Or they do get healed, in which case all the people that have gathered around as onlookers also all get born again and you plant a church. (laughs) That's day two of the school of evangelism. Um, day three of this school of evangelism is when you've graduated from all of that and you're actually now starting to really function in the call of an evangelist, uh, which is when you, you, when you go to preach, crowds gather in their thousands because there's an anointing on you as an evangelist. Very interesting. I, I was saying to him, I think that when you're in the UK, do come and talk to us, but you need to understand that we've got a, we're about halfway through the first morning of your first day in our understanding of evangelism. So we just need, you know, come down to our level a little bit here. Um, We've been having this conversation all about, and we've been having this conversation about signs and wonders, and I was saying, I long to see more people being healed and all of that. And he'd said to me in the car at about three or four in the morning, bumping along, watching out for buffaloes and things, he'd said, he said, the thing is, Steve, miracles flow out of compassion and desperation. And 
And then we're sat down having breakfast, and there's this guy at the table, and I'm thinking, I want to learn from this guy, Joshua, more about this kind of ministry and praying for people and so on. And I thought, oh, I should get Josh to get... We could pray for this guy together. He can translate, and we can pray for him and see what happens. And right there at that moment, God just enabled me to see what was going on in my heart. What I realized was I was seeing this guy as an opportunity for me to grow a little bit, learn some stuff, come back with a good story, overcome some of my own disappointments and frustrations with healing, come back with a bit more faith to be a blessing to others. Or, you know, some of those things, all of those things were going on in my heart. And I realized that actually alongside that, there was genuine compassion for him. But all of those other motives really clouded it. And I sat there through breakfast wrestling with these things. The guy was there before us. He left before us. I watched him walk out. And as he went, I did, we didn't pray for him. I was just stuck in this mire of mixed motives and realizing that God could bless this guy some other way, but that what had happened for me in this little encounter was that I had been helped to realize that there was one way in particular in which I wasn't a lot like Jesus. That much of my thinking and motives for getting out there and doing people good and making things as they should be were not born of love. There are all kinds of other motives. There's a, some verses in Philippians 2 which always strike me to the core where Paul says to the church in Philippi, I'm sending Timothy to you. You know what? I've got no one else like him because everyone else looks out for their own interests, not for those of Christ. I'm sending Timothy to you. He will truly care for you. I think, well, Paul had a pretty good crowd of people that worked with him, right? I mean, some of them wrote the New Testament letters with him, like Silas. and It's a pretty good crowd of people. I wouldn't mind getting to know them. Paul looks around and he says, I've only got one who's properly motivated here. You can see why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of angels, if I give all I have to the poor, if I surrender my body to the flames but have not love... I am nothing, I gain nothing, I achieve nothing. And um, this is just where I felt I should finish today. And I think it, it fits with some of the things that were prophesied about giving up what we have. Because love doesn't keep things for itself, does it? Love is concerned with others. If, if we're absorbed with marbles in the dirt or if we're unwilling to let things die in ourselves, those things are counter to the love of God. You know, this whole thing of God's ultimate plan, it works when we look like Jesus. It works when his love poured into us has changed us and made us to be genuinely loving, compassionate people, and it overflows from us to others. Then the glory of the Lord is filling the earth. Yeah? So, I'm not sure. I'll leave it to Keith. You need to decide whether we'll, we will go ahead and break bread now or not. We could do. I don't know. What we need to do is we need to understand that the things that we hold on to that can be very precious to us and we don't want to give away are hopes of a better career, maybe. 
our hope of maintaining our reputation, our hope of doing something extraordinary so that everybody will finally see what a wonderful person I am. I don't know what it is for you. Whatever we're holding on to, those things run counter to the love of God. And God wants to do an exchange with us this morning. He doesn't just want us to relinquish some things. Eileen's picture was of lifting our eyes and seeing jewels and rubies, diamonds. God wants to give us his love overflowing from us in place of the less valuable things that have come and taken its place. And then his will will be done. His kingdom will come. His glory will fill the earth. His glory will fill the places where we spend our days in the coming week. Amen.